Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church. Well, good morning, Life West. My name is Becca. And my husband Samuel and I have the absolute privilege of serving as pastors here at Life West. And um, you can usually find us running around West Michigan with our five kiddos, causing trouble and generally bringing the party. Uh, we love life and we absolutely love who we get to do life with. And that's you guys. Subtle, right? Okay, so you guys were all just really nice and loud, and I want you, when I'm, when I'm speaking today, I want you guys, if something resonates with you, let me know. Give me some feedback, okay? Awesome. Before I jump into today's message, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are in awe of you. We thank you for blessing us with another day to make your great name known. We pray that you take the words of this message and that you mold them and use them according to your will. We pray that they would not simply be information, but that they would be revelation that brings transformation when we align our hearts with yours. We thank you for hearts that are open to your life-changing power and love, even if they feel a bit exposed in the wake of your convictions. We thank you that you have not only given us your word, Jesus, but that you have promised your presence to us as well. And we know that apart from that presence, we can do nothing. We thank you for your overwhelming patience and grace over us. In your precious and mighty name we pray, Jesus. Amen. This is going to be fun. Anger, ire, rage, fury, indignation, wrath, frenzy, uproar, hit the ceiling, hot under the collar, up in arms, foaming at the mouth, steamed up, fit to be tied. Bent out of shape, seeing red, ticked off, go off the handle, blow one's top, flip out, lose your cool, go postal, have a conniption, jump down someone's throat, blow a gasket, bite someone's head off, blow a fuse, go ballistic. Phew, that's a list, right? And some of you may have shifted a little bit in your seat as I read that list because you know that today you go and get called out. Because he Humanity, we, we have a problem, don't we? And, and I want to remind you, as we talk about anger this morning, that as always, this is a with you message. This is not an at you message. When it comes to anger, there are different ways to deal with it. There are spewers, there are stewers, and then there are some constructive doers, right? I tend to be a spewer. I know you never know it because I'm always like, but I tend to be a spewer. And there have been more than a few times that I have characterized the scripture, Proverbs 12, 16, that says, a fool shows her annoyance at once. So hear me when I say that this message is not just for you, it's for me as well. So today I'm going to employ a Samuel strategy. So I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, we're talking about anger, this message is for you. Okay, now, I would like you to turn to the other neighbor who you actually think has a problem with anger and have them 
Okay. Nah, I'm just kidding. Don't, don't do that. That's, that would be weird. <laughs> okay. Let's that one. So this morning, I am pretty sure that this message will apply to everyone. Because we've all seen somebody lose it. Or we've lost it ourselves. Or we've seen somebody who really internalizes anger. Or we internalize anger and stew ourselves. Now, in this season of post-summer craziness, you know, it, it tends to get everybody frazzled, right? We have the send your, send your kids to school parents. We have the homeschool parents. We have the people who are trying to get out the door at the same time as everybody else. We have new routines and crowded roads. And then we have those giant yellow school buses with the obnoxious signs and signals that leave us all feeling a bit paranoid, right? Yes. Answer that one for you guys. School buses don't bother you guys? Like, you're never like, what do I do? Oh, you are. Okay, okay. So you add these things to the actual issues in our life, and it can all leave us feeling downright angry. The Word tells us in Genesis 1.27 that humanity was created in God's image. And that's where I'm going to start today. If, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you might feel a bit conflicted with what I have to say. And that's because many of us were taught that anger, in all of its forms, is wrong. I want to challenge that idea. Because as I read through the Old Testament, we see anger mentioned 455 times. 375 of those times, it's referring to God. And while God can be angry, God is never sinful. I have a few examples. Romans 1.18 says, But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. John 3.36 says, Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. Psalm 7.11 says, God is an honest judge. He's angry he is angry with the wicked every day. But actually, compared to the wrongs that God has to suffer, because every sin is against God, the Bible actually tells us that he's very slow to anger. Psalm 103, verse 8. Am I off? Okay. Okay, Psalm 103, verse 8 tells us that the Lord is compassionate and merciful. He's slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Exodus 34 reiterates this thing. Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and See, anger in itself is not actually sinful or evil. Anger is what enables us to know that a boundary has been crossed and that we need to take action. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.26, in your anger, do not sin. This means that it's possible to be angry and not sin. And if we're created in God's image, and God gets angry, and we get angry, there must 
be a purpose for the anger that we feel. Okay, there we go. There must be a right way to respond to that anger. Now, in researching God's purpose for anger, I came across this quote by Gary Chapman. Anger is meant to motivate us to take constructive action in the face of wrongdoing or when facing injustice. Anger is useful to us because it elicits a response to things in, world, in the world that are not right, that are not as they should be. Now, I'm not talking my husband left his clothes on the bathroom floor again, not right. I'm not talking my girlfriend had a party and she didn't invite me, not right. I'm not even talking my kid asked why for the 666th time, not right. And yes, I chose that number on purpose. <laughs> I'm talking human trafficking. Racism. Abuse. You see, God's anger is always holy. It always seeks the best outcome. And his anger is driven by his love. His response to anger is always loving. This doesn't mean that it's easy. It doesn't mean that his response is pain-free. Throughout the Old Testament, anger motivated God to send prophets to tell his children to change their ways. In the New Testament, we see Jesus experiencing anger on multiple occasions as well. In Mark 3, verses 1 to 5, Jesus is heading to worship in the synagogue, and he, he steps, it's the Sabbath, and he steps into the synagogue, and he sees a man with a deformed hand. And you better believe that his critics his enemies, are standing right there to condemn him because they just know that he's going to heal this man. And on the Sabbath. So Jesus calls the man and says, come up here and stand in front of everyone. Verse 4 says, Then he turned to his critics and asked, Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save a life or destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. And then Jesus healed the man's hand. See, Jesus was angry because they valued keeping the, the tradition and keeping the Sabbath to the letter of the law more than they valued the human need, which was God's intention. In John chapter 2, we find Jesus in the temple again. And this time, he's mad because they've changed the temple, the synagogue, into a marketplace. He was so mad this time that he made a whip out of ropes and drove the people and cattle out. This is because he's so concerned with God's holiness and with worship. John eleven thirty three to 38. Here, we find Jesus approaching the grave of his good friend Lazarus and talking with Lazarus' sister Mary. Mary, understandably, is inconsolable at her brother's death. The word says that when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a 
deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. A few verses later, the Bible tells us Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. Why is Jesus angry here? You know, I, I believe he's angry because death is the scenario where Satan appears most powerful. It's, it's the arena where it looks like Satan is the strongest. It's a reminder to Jesus of Satan's hostility towards God and towards God's creation. Jesus' tears and his anger show his deep identification with people who are grief-stricken and a recognition that in death, things are not as they should be. And Jesus' anger, just like God's, motivates him to act. And he raises Lazarus from the death. Anger in us is meant to leave, is meant to motivate us to leave things better than they were. It's intended to put us on a trajectory towards holiness. I think of William Wilberforce and Thomas Clarkson uh, in Great Britain in the 17 and 1800s and their fight for abolition. I think of Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, Harriet Beecher Stowe, and Martin Luther King Jr. in the United States. All of these people looked at what was happening in the world when it came to racism and slavery. And instead of being passive-aggressive or whining to just their friends, they did something about it. They took action. And it wasn't overnight. It took decades to get bills passed. It took centuries to start turning the tides. So how about you? Does your anger motivate you to leave things better than they were? Or does your anger leave a wake of broken relationships? Broken spirits? Maybe even broken things? Oh my goodness, when I was in high school, um, there was a kid who, right in front of me, like he, he was told that he wouldn't be on the starting five of the basketball team for the first game because of an athletic code violation. And he got mad and he just punched the wall, busted the wall, busted his hand, got kicked off the team, and was in a cast for six weeks. Oh, not good. <clears throat> you know, most human anger that I see shows itself in ways that leave things worse than they came, right? Gossip, fits of rage, yelling, tantrums, bitterness, rejection, divisiveness, passive-aggressive Facebook comments. We're all kings and queens of that, aren't we? That's because there's a difference between God's anger, righteous anger, and human anger. James 1.20 says, human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. And human anger comes easily. Righteous anger does not. Oh my goodness, I remember when I first had kids and I looked at them and I thought, I will never, ever be angry at you. And then they pooed in the closet. And I felt real angry. That changed. <laughs> oh, and I did that with all the kids. I mean, they didn't all poo in the closet, but you know, you think, oh, a new one. I will never be angry at this one. And then you are. Anyhow. So human anger doesn't come easily. Ease, or human anger does come easily. Righteous anger does not. 
Righteous anger reacts against actual sin, not a violation of my desires or preferences. And our response to anger is too often opposed to self-control. When we're angry, we often lose control of our words, our tone, our facial expressions, sometimes even our bodies. But righteous anger always expresses itself in a controlled way. It doesn't swear and curse. It doesn't rant or rage. It doesn't mock or insult. It doesn't sink into self-pity or depression. It doesn't storm off or write people off. Righteous anger is controlled anger that leaves things better than it was found. So what do we do when that feeling of anger wells up in us? Because anger isn't a reaction we plan, right? I don't wake up in the morning and say, oh, self, today let's get angry, right? We don't do that. It it happens in response to something in our surroundings. So it's really difficult to fight the physiology of it. So we have to fight the response instead. Psalm 4.4 says, don't sin by letting anger control you. Think about it overnight and remain silent. This is one reason that we need people in life that we are open and honest with and that can help calm us down when we feel riled up. You know, I I once had somebody in a position of authority um, post an invitation on Facebook to students to engage in behavior that would possibly lead to some pretty damaging outcomes. And when I read the post, I was just, I was like, oh my goodness, this is not good. We lead these students together. I was so mad and I wanted to rant and rave. I wanted to spew scripture in her comment section. I wanted to defriend online. I wanted to defriend in life and, and, and. But instead, I went and I de-escalated with Samuel. You know what he didn't do? He didn't hype me up to go and tell her off. He reminded me that the word says not to let anger control us, to think about it overnight and remain silent. And so I did. In the morning, actually the post was down, and when I contacted this leader to talk with her calmly at that point, she said that she had felt so convicted, contacted the parents, apologized, and I'm so glad that I didn't just rant and rave at her. Psalm 37, 8 says, stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. See, a temper is the only thing we can't get rid of by losing it. And some of us have tried. Will Rogers said that people who fly into a rage always make a bad landing. Proverbs 29, 11 says, fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. Ecclesiastes 7, 9 says, do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the laps of fools. I love the imagery of this verse. Anger resides. Anger lives in the lap of fools. See, anger was designed to be a visitor in our lives, not a resident. And that stored anger in our lives only leads to bitterness. Last week, Samuel shared a scripture from Ephesians concerning forgiveness. And I want to share it because it applies here as well. Ephesians 4.26 says, 
And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. The Greek word that's translated foothold is the word tapas. And this word actually means location. And specifically, it means a room. In other words, in your anger, do not give a room to the devil in your heart. Now, the anger that we experience can come from a variety of sources, right? It can come from frustration. It can come from disappointment, judgment, fear, rejection. And that anger has a physical effect on our bodies as well, just like the scripture before alluded to it living in us. Anger sparks a part of the brain called the amygdala. And the amygdala activates the hypothalamus. The hypothalamus signals glands in the body that secrete hormones, one of which is cortisol. And the National Institute for the Clinical Application of Behavioral Medicine, that's a long name, this institute says this, too much cortisol will decrease serotonin. That's the hormone that makes you happy. A decrease in serotonin can make you feel anger and pain more easily, as well as increase aggressive behavior and lead to depression. Anger lowers immune functioning, your eyesight weakens, you get more migraines, your bone density goes down. Neurologists also claim that every time you resist acting on your anger, you're rewiring your brain to be calmer and more loving. Guys, when anger comes and tries to control you, you've got to say, hey, train wreck, this is not your station. Move on by. And the physiology of anger doesn't change if that anger is justified. And it's so easy to justify. Hey, if you hadn't, I wouldn't have. And sometimes you're right. Some anger stems from a definitive wrong, from a definitive sin. But often, though, it's our perception, and our perception can be off, and that anger can stem from a distorted sense of being wrong. And in either case, our response is our responsibility. I read a story a few months ago about a middle school girl who was waiting for her mom to pick her up after school. And school ended at 3 o'clock. 3.15 comes, and the girl's feeling a little frustrated that mom's not there. 3.30 rolls around, and she's irritated. And by 4 o'clock, she's furious and pacing. Her mom had told her she'd pick her up, and she had lied. She was not there. I'd say her emotion anger was valid. I think most of us would say that was valid. That would be really irritating. We'd feel really upset at that. But there's a problem with blowing up when it comes to our initial reaction and our initial emotions. Remember the scripture I read that I used to sometimes characterize myself? Proverbs 12, 16, a fool shows their annoyance at once. Our feelings can lie to us. Our feelings aren't always privy to the facts. They're privy to my perception of the facts. They're privy to the embarrassment that I feel or the disrespect I see. They're privy to the the rejection that I feel. 
They're privy to the pain that's in my heart and that you caused and you put in my life. But those feelings aren't necessarily facts. Once I, I made a pair of gloves for somebody, and I loved them. They had, it had taken me so long to make these gloves. And so when I gave them to this woman, I said, here are these gloves. I really, really, really hope you love them. I made them for you. If you don't want them, I love them, and I would love to have them back. Um, but keep them, but if you don't want them, give them to me. Not even a week later. I receive a group text from this lady, and there's a picture of the gloves that I made, along with the question, I'm wondering if anybody might want these gloves as I've decided to replace them with something much more to my liking. Like, I mean, it's really hard for me to tell the story and not still feel a little like, what on earth? <laughs> Anyhow, so I, I obviously, I mean, I started crying, and I was like, what is going on? And so I called her, and I said, hey, you know, I'm really feeling hurt by the text that you just sent out, and, and I thought I made it so clear you could give the gloves back, and she was acting confused, which made me feel more like, why don't you understand that that hurts my feelings? And pretty soon she excused herself. She said, give me just a second. And apparently she looked down at her phone. She had sent the wrong picture. <laughs> she had actually taken a picture of the gloves to send it to her other friends and had been sharing because she loved them so much and had put the wrong one in that. Now, number one, my perception was understandable, but it wasn't privy to the facts. People make mistakes. Anybody, have any of you ever, raise your hand if you made a mistake. Okay, that's pretty unanimous. Maybe one or two hands didn't go up, but um, people make mistakes. People misspeak. Oh, my goodness, I misspeak. People hurt others. It happens. You know, I felt a bit foolish at my irritation and frustration when I called her, but I also was thankful that I hadn't gone and ranted on Facebook, that I hadn't called a friend to gossip. I was so thankful that I had talked to her because I would have looked foolish. I read a similar account of misplaced anger due to perception just this week. Here's the story in the words of the postal clerk himself. Working at the post office, I'm used to dealing with a moody public. So when one irate customer stormed to, stormed to my desk, I responded in my calmest voice, what's the trouble? I went out this morning, she began, and when I came home, I found a note on the door saying that a mailman tried to deliver my package and no one was home. I will have you know my husband was home all morning and he never heard a thing. After apologizing, I got her package. Oh, good, she gushed. I've been waiting for this for ages. Well, what is it? I asked. My husband's hearing aid. Our perception can sure distort reality, can't it? Now let's look back at the girl waiting for her mom in the parking lot. Shortly after 4 o'clock, her dad races into the parking lot, 
leans over the passenger side door, throws the door open, or over the seat, and throws the door open and says, get in. Your mom's been in a bad accident, and we need to get to the hospital. Now, we all thought that the anger just a few minutes ago was valid, that yes, her mom promised she'd be there, and she wasn't. But the anger wasn't privy to the information and the truth. Because I bet the moment she heard that, all of that anger disappeared and turned into concern for her mom and a desire to just be right next to her. James 4, verses 1 and 2 says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Often the anger that leads to conflict comes from a selfish focus. You inconvenienced me. You hurt me. Your words hurt me. You leaving the clothes on the bathroom floor again hurt me and burdened me. You, you, you did to me, me, me. Proverbs 17, 19 says, anyone who loves to quarrel loves sin. Anyone who trusts in high walls invites disaster. When I read this proverb at first, I was confused because what does, what does it mean? What do high walls have to do with, with quarreling? And I think what it means is that just because you build a high wall doesn't mean that you won't be attacked or that the wall won't fall. And we still need to make sure that what's on the inside of that wall is built up and strengthened. So we can't just say, well, I never get angry at all and trust in that wall. We have to know what we'll do when someone does make us angry. How will we respond? Here's a riddle for you. Five frogs were sitting on a log. Four decided to jump off. How many frogs are left? Five. Because there's a difference between deciding to do something and doing it. Now, if this is something that has kind of hit home for you today, um, as it did for me even, even while we were preparing it, I'm going to give you some steps that you can take that I'm going to take directly from a book that I read by Gary Chapman. But I want to let you know that Romans 8 tells us that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. And if anger is something that you struggle with, you ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you how to respond in a way that is loving and kind. Another thing that I do is I write down the scriptures that um, pertain to that, that topic. So I actually, I mean, you won't be able to see it, but today, it's, today is the 25th, so I read the 25th proverb. And my Bible has orange highlighting anything that has to do with anger. So today, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. And then I write that down on a card, and I memorize those, because Psalm 119 tells us that it says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So we take those scriptures and we say, okay, I'm going to put that in my heart. So that when anger does come, I'll have something else to think of. I'll have something to remind me. I don't want to be the fool that that talks about. So Gary Chapman's book, Anger, Handling a Powerful Emotion in a Healthy Way, he says to do these things. 
He says, first, you need to acknowledge that you're angry, right? This is the one that I said is hard because as Christians, <gasps> I'm not supposed to say I'm angry. I'm not supposed to admit that. But it's okay to say, I'm angry. And what happened to me made me angry. The next step, though, is to restrain your immediate response. If you're a stewer or a spewer, you have to change the way you think about it. Proverbs 14, 17 says that a quick-tempered man does foolish things. Don't do the foolish thing. It actually is helpful to count to 100 or 1,000 or maybe 10,000 or take a walk. Um, but you need to work to establish a new habit. After that, locus, locate the focus of your anger. If the person has actually sinned or wronged you, there are differences to the way we handle things. There, there are different consequences for different wrongs. If it's just something where they inconvenienced you, then talk with them. But if it's something that, was, that actually happened, that was actually sinful and wrong, it's going to have different consequences. One of the consequences, though, should never be screaming at them, throwing a fit, losing your cool, having a tantrum. I'm reminded of the saying, you can be right and wrong at the top of your voice. If we don't properly respond to their wrong, then we actually enter into their wrong by committing our own. Next, analyze your options, right? I mean, we have a lot of options when we get angry. Right? I could lay on the floor and kick and scream. I could yell. I could rant. I could rave. I could throw something. Right? I could dis dismiss the person that made me angry. I could seek revenge by isolating them or rejecting them. Or I can lovingly confront the person or decide to overlook the matter. The last thing is to take constructive action. Ask yourself how to respond constructively. Do you need to share it with God? Do you need to turn it over to him? Do you need to talk with the person or overlook it? Do you need to see the, the other perspective and maybe laugh it off? Henry Ward Beecher once said that a person without a sense of humor is like a wagon without springs. It's jolted by every pebble on the road. Galatians 6.1 says this, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. If someone has hurt us, no matter what, we can choose love. If we choose to speak to them, we can do it in a loving way. We do not have to return evil with evil. The word tells us in Romans 2, 4 that it's the kindness of God that turns us from our sin. I want my kids to turn from sin. I want the people in my life to turn from sin. But that means that I'm going to need to address things in kindness. And what if you're that somebody that's lost, lost your temper? What if you've lost your cool, thrown a fit? What do you do with that? What if, what if you were the one that's internalizing anger? First, you go back to the Holy Spirit. You know, we were singing about the presence of the Holy Spirit earlier. And it is so good to have the Word of God. The Word of God is living and active. But we need God's presence in our life. We need the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
outbursts, internalizing anger, this all leaves us needing our spirit to be refined, and the Holy Spirit is one that does that. Next, you set up a group um, that you can be accountable to. We talk a lot about small groups here. I get that. It's not actually because um, we want our numbers to grow. It's not because we love the administration of organizing people. Well, Colleen might, actually. She does. Okay. Well, it's not, that's not why I do it. We do it because every single one of us who has been in a small group realizes the impact of godly relationships in our lives. I had someone call me a few weeks ago after she had thrown a bit of a fit. And uh, she laid out her story in front of me and owned her own issues while acknowledging the hurt. Now, here's the thing. She called me, right? She knew that I would probably ask her to see the error in her ways and to, to own her side of the issue. She knew that I wouldn't let off the hook. And yet she called me. She didn't surround herself with people who said, that person deserves your anger. It's so humbling to surround ourselves with people who push us to be more like Christ because it means we'll need to stretch, we'll need to grow, we'll need to change, and that's so uncomfortable, but it's so good. So today, I mean... We have the people out there that are going to be having small groups. Get in a small group. You can do it through us, lifewest.church, or you can find godly people in your life. Call up some of your godly friends and say, let's meet in a coffee shop. I don't care which it is, but surround yourself with people who love the Lord and push you to, to be more like him. And of course, if you've been somebody to blow up, you need to apologize. You need to repent. We don't qualify it. We don't justify it. We don't say they made us do it. Your response is your choice. As Christians, we're called to self-control. We're not called to other control. They may follow suit and apologize for making you angry and for what they did, and they may not. But either way, we are told to choose the attitude of Christ. Philippians 2, 3 through 11 Um, talks about this, and I'm going to skip through. It says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself to obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. James 1, 19 through 21 says this, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak. Notice it doesn't say speak slowly, so no jokes after the message. And slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all of the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. The word God plants in our hearts has the power to save our souls. And that word is Jesus Christ. Please bow your heads and close your eyes. 
Today, I want to give you an opportunity to surrender your life to the God who loves you more than you could ever imagine. I often tell my kids when we get into the I love you more, no, I love you more battle, that they will never win against me. And that's because I took part in their creation. They came from my sacrifices and were born out of my love. They can never love me as much as I love them, but they will understand my love for them if they ever have their own children. And it's the same with God. No matter how much we love him, we will never love him to the degree that he loves us. And that's okay. He created us. He formed us out of his love for us. And then he allowed his son to come and be a sacrifice for the sins that we committed that separated us from him. And when we choose Jesus, we acknowledge that sacrifice. And we allow him to change us from the inside. And we will never be the same. If that's you, and if that just resonated with you, and you'd like to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life, please raise your hand, and we will pray together. Okay, Jesus, we are so, we are so thankful for you, Father. We thank you that you continue to mold us into your image. We thank you that you are the author of our story, and you give us the strength to do all that we do, Father. We thank you that that you love us, Jesus. We acknowledge our sin, Father, and we thank you for your sacrifice. And it's in your loving name we pray. And I'd like you to keep your heads bowed, please. If today touched a tough spot in you, and you feel a tug to confront the sinful responses you've chosen in the wake of anger, I'd like to pray with you as well. So you don't have to raise your hand with this one. But pray along with me. God, we thank you that you are patient, that you offer forgiveness to those who ask for it. Jesus, we come before you and ask by the power of the Holy Spirit that you release us from a spirit of anger. We ask that you empower us to pause when anger rises in us and think of a loving response that would glorify you. We thank you that your kindness has drawn us to repentance and we pray that you help to guide us to people who can help keep us accountable to what your word says pertaining to anger. In your transforming name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church.